wish to greet each one of you here this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, gathered with the saints in Christ. Now you notice I put a special effect on the word saints there. That's because that's what's on my mind this morning. has been the last couple of days. Um, actually, maybe the last couple of weeks, I've, I've been thinking about this. You know, what does it really mean to be a saint? Um, and we spent uh, some time, my boys and I and Nathan and Derek spent some time up in George Washington Forest. And it seemed, you know, that you could be more easier to be saintly up there, you know, up in the mountaintops, maybe than in the real life that we're in. I had to think of Peter's experience or, uh, of the transfiguration where, where you know, Jesus' clothes became white and, and uh, Peter and John were there with him as well as another disciple, I believe. And, and Peter was like, you know, let's make several tents here and let's just stay here. Uh, sometimes I think we we um, lose focus on on what it really means to be uh, a saint, or maybe we idealize it too much. I'd like to to look at this um, to share some thoughts of of what maybe the culture is teaching us or has taught us what. Catholic culture has taught us here in the West and how we've come to view saints maybe indirectly or possibly directly and what sainthood really is. I'd like to read some verses out of 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians, first of all, I'd like to read a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 1 and then move back to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1-3. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenus, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that, be, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's addressing the saints here at Corinth. We've, a lot of us know about Corinth. It was a, uh, most of what we know about it, or is that it was a, a pretty common city, a city of commerce. It was located between two seas. It was a way of, uh, it served as a connection from delivering goods from one sea, I think it was the Adriatic Sea, to the Aegean Sea. And they had a, actually had a large tram-like system built across there to deliver goods from one side to the other. In fact, Nero thought enough about this city that he actually tried, started a passageway but via canal, started digging a canal from one side to the other. And uh, it, it, it would make, by, by going across this isthmus, whatever, uh, I can't really pronounce that, isthmus, they were able to cut off 200 miles of seafaring. And, and so, 
later on Nero tried to started to build a canal and then he got worried about it because he was worried that I think his agency would be higher than the Adriatic Sea would flood it or or vice versa. And uh, so he, he stopped. And then later on the French in the early 1800s, the French came along and, and finished the canal. The, the city was later uh, mostly came to an end because of a, a bad earthquake. But during its time, it's depicted, it was depicted as a, a very evil city, many prostitutes. Uh, but it also was a very common city, a real city of bustling commerce, uh, people buying and selling wares. And so, so the Christians there in Corinth would be what I would consider a very, uh, very much of a common Christian in a, in a, in a, in a uh, well-seated uh, economic um, environment. Uh, they, they were able to buy and sell, be useful. And uh, so maybe they, we would, could relate to them in a better way than maybe some of the other people that Paul addressed. Maybe we would be more like modern day Corinthians in the modern day Corinthian society than maybe in some of the others. These were common folks. They had lots of problems as we'd read if we'd read through the book of Corinthians. But Paul called them, first of all, sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. He didn't say a couple of you mind there might be saints someday. He didn't say that um, if you're you know, really put on the show, uh, maybe you'll be a saint. He said you're sanctified in Christ and then he's Christ Jesus and called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name with all that in every place all the other places call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord both theirs and ours. And then if we move back to 1 Corinthians 6 This is a this is a uh, chapter where Paul deals with a common problem, a carnal problem in the church. And um, in, in the first, I'll read the first verse, first two verses here. Dare any of you having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints. So there were, there was, there were people in the church that were unhappy with each other. They felt they had been cheated by one or the other. And they were taking their brother or their sister in Christ, another saint, to the magistrate, to the judge, a carnal judge, and, and let's see what he says about that. An unjust judge. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? And in even verse 3, goes on to make an even greater statement. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Interesting here. Paul talking to people that were having a very carnal problem. Carnal enough that they were taking each other to law, suing each other. And he says, uh, you know, why aren't you taking these to the saints? People within your midst. Um, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And then he goes on to address how that they should be approaching this. How they should be willing to even uh, be cheated even be taken advantage of rather than go to judgment against the brother. And he goes on to tell them in verse 
8, Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. Know you not that the unrighteous, he talks about the unrighteous here, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor the abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So here we can tell what's the opposite of saints. And then in verse 11 it says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And that, my friends, is what it means to be a saint. Washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That's what it means to be a saint. So, maybe I got ahead of myself here. I wanted to look at, you know, what is, what do we know, what do we hear in the popular media or, you know, just around us as of a saint. One of the people that I find somewhat fascinating because uh, maybe she's in my lifetime, she's recently, more recently passed away, is, is uh, Mother Teresa. Um, you know, her philanthropy and her, her uh, giving of herself and, and the way she worked in Kolkata uh, in helping the poorest of the poor. Uh, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And I'd like to look at her a little more. I'd also like to look at the, uh, how that the, we would find a saint defined in, in uh, modern day terminology. This comes straight from Wikipedia. And this is how they define a saint. In the New Testament, St. Paul used the term to mean a member of the Christian community. But the term more commonly refers to those who are noted for their holiness and venerated during their lifetimes or after death. In Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, saints are publicly recognized by the church and are considered intercessors for God for the living. They're honored on special feast days and their remains and personal effects are venerated as relics. Often Christian saints perform miracles in their lifetime or miracles occur in their names after their death. And uh, I'd like to share with you, I looked up uh, saints for dummies online. I thought that would be interested to see. Uh, I was actually looking up what it means to be a saint and it took me to this place of how to become a saint for dummies. And I thought that it had some interesting information there. You know, how how we would become a saint if we were to uh, look at modern day uh, uh, roadmap to sainthood. Now, reading from the text here, first uh, from their text. First of all, a clarification: the Catholic Church doesn't make saints like Hollywood makes movie stars. Catholic saints are men and women who lived holy lives in obedience to God's will, and they became, they became saints at the moment they entered heaven. Okay? So they became saints at the moment they entered heaven, which is contrary to what we've been reading here, right? However, the church, and I'm not here, I'm not here to, to uh, preach against the Catholic church. That's not my motive. I just want to look at, for us to get a biblical sense of what it means to be a saint. However, the church does recognize those souls that the church can confirm are in heaven as saints. So the church recognizes those souls that the church can really confirm 
are in heaven as saints. The process for being declared a saint in ancient traditional, the process for being declared a saint is ancient, traditional, and often mysterious. Evidence must be presented to persuade church officials that the person in question, in fact, lived a virtuous life, had faith, and had the support and help of God. The church also looks at, as, at miracles as evidence that God is working through that person. So they're looking to see that that person is, is continuing to working, his spirit is still working uh, for the good of mankind in a benevolent way today. Um, so here are the stages of, on the road to sainthood. Usually the process of recognizing a saint starts no earlier than five years after a person's death. So Mother Teresa is on fast track for, for sainthood. Usually the potential saint's pastor presents this, the case to the bishop, and then specific stages are met on the path to being declared a saint. Now this is pretty basic, I think. I think it's a little more complicated. But here they have four steps listed. First of all, the, the roadmap to sainthood is being called a servant of God. As soon as the person is accepted for, for consideration, she's called or he's called a servant of God. That's step number one. Step number two is venerable. After the Vatican Congregation for the Causes of Saints determines that the servant of God lived a life of heroic virtue, she or he is granted the title of venerable. Heroic virtue doesn't mean a person was perfect or sinless, but that he, she or he worked aggressively to improve themselves spiritually and never gave up trying to be better and to grow in holiness. And then there's step three, and that's blessed. After the church establishes one miracle, the venerable person's cause is presented to the Pope to, do, to see whether he deems her worthy of being called blessed or, or she or him. And this step is called beautification, and it's the next to last step. So where we have four, three steps, and then the fourth comes along, and that's another miracle, so they need another confirming miracle, and then that's given to the Pope for consideration again for his judgment. And uh, if that goes well, if reports to the contrary aren't credible, this person becomes canonized and becomes a saint. Um, there's different things that can make uh, a saint, a saint different effects. One I, one I found interesting was that yeah, for the Catholic Church and probably Eastern Orthodox, and I find this particularly relig uh, interesting because we set, spent time with Eastern Orthodox and they, were, they had all their, their saints days and there was just about a, a saint's day for every day of the year. And you had to be careful because uh, I, I actually ruined their GDP. I mean, it, it, not, it didn't ruin it, but it really messed up their GDP because there's people, gross domestic product, because there's, people are taking off so much of the time to celebrate uh, another saint. Um, but there, there's some other phenomena that, that counts in here. One is incorruptibility. And this is long after the saint is dead, the body is found free of decay. And they consider St. Catherine of Siena to be an example. She died in 1830 and 600... I'm sorry, 1380, I read that backwards. And She died in 1380 and 600 years later, without any balming, her flesh hasn't decomposed. I find that hard to believe, but anyways. Then there's liquefaction. 
The dried blood of a, of a saint long dead miraculously liquefies, miraculously liquefies on the feast day. So this, this dried blood becomes liquid on the feast day. And this is a, there's a Saint Generius that they have as an example. And then there's the odor of sanctity. Uh, the body of a saint excuses a sweet aroma like roses rather than the usual a pugnant stench of decay. And the church considers St. Teresa of Avila to be just such an example. Um, so this is what the Catholic Church, this is what it takes to be a saint in the Catholic Church. Uh, some, of these, some of these effects. Is it really that complicated or I should maybe say, aren't we glad that it's not that complicated? You know, I, I like I like reading about saints. Saint George is my was my hero. He was uh, I liked reading about him. You know, the fire, this this uh, prince, this gallant prince that would galloping around and you know saving the countryside from uh, fire breathing dragons and and finally saving that prince's life. You know, the the villagers were having to sacrifice uh, an animal a day to to feed this dragon because it was right at their water source. It finally came down to where the king's daughter had to be sacrificed or else they couldn't get water. And here comes, you know, St. George in on his horse and he stabs, the, he, he, he wonders what's going on and they tell him and he goes out there and the dragon comes out and he slays it with his sword. And I think he ends up marrying the princess. I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's the kind of saint that, that, uh, that I like to read about, um, and probably that stirs me, or stirred me as a young lad, you know, 11 or 12 years old. Um, but is that really the case? You know, that's that's not. Saints are much more mundane of mundane stock than that. Today I hear in our setting, she's a real saint. Said about someone. I think I hear it more in the feminine than I do maybe in the masculine, and that's probably statistically correct. But uh, it's not feminine to be a saint. And uh, really, it's quite masculine to be a saint. A saint is to be on both sides of the, for both genders. Um, gender is, is an issue in sainthood. God determines who are saints, not the Vatican or any other council person. They have their own setup. They know what they're doing. They, they know what they're trying to achieve. The Vatican is, or the, the Catholic system, but that's not the biblical sense of saint. Um, but I found even calling someone a saint in our circles can be a touchy subject. I uh, it wasn't in our immediate circles, but uh, I was at a, in a congregation one time. Well, I actually was in Romania, where an evangelical came up to me and he said, uh, um, "Brother," he said, "Do you consider yourself a saint?" And uh, I won't tell you what my exact response was. What if I ask you that? Do you consider yourself a saint, Brother Leon? Or, you know, someone else here? Um, it took me aback a bit, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm a saint. I mean, you know, and, and uh, but he kept on, you know, he kept on, I, I started probing him. He kept on asking me this, you know, this question. I was like, well, what, what's so, why is he so interested in this? And uh, well, he said he comes from a group of believers who who 
who don't really believe that they can be saints. They, 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 they're believers, but, but, that's, but they're not saints. And, and uh, the majority within his circle held the same view. You know, they're, they're believers, but they're, they're, not, they're not saints. And I wonder if deep down, if that's not kind of our feeling many times, we have kind of a graduated sense of, of um, beliefism. You know, maybe, maybe we feel like uh, not all the fish are quite in the same pond. Uh, when you take, when you have trout or they have trout, they put the fingerlings in one little pool, or chickens, or, or you know, poultry, for example. They, they put the, the smaller ones in one little setting, let them grow up, and then they move them up. And in a hatchery, they do this, partly, I believe, so that the little fingerlings don't get eating, eaten by the big ones. Um, does God have a graduated pool system for us? You know, first of all, there's a repented one, and then there's a believer. And then there's the on fire for God one. And then there's the accomplished on fire for God one with spiritual accolades. And finally, after death and after meeting all the proper criteria, there's the sainthood. And I'm not wanting to diminish sainthood. It's, there are definitely believers in our midst here this morning and, and all over who have fought the good fight. They've worked very hard. They've been faithfully They've been faithful. Um, believers who have met trials and not given up. You know, believers that were maybe defeated at times but not conquered. Believers who are an encouragement to others by merit of their life example, their concern for others, their prayers. These people are mature saints and I don't want to diminish their role. They should be honored. But at the same time, where, where are the new believers? Or what should the new believers be? What makes a saint? First of all, they're made holy in Jesus Christ. Actually, saint means holy one. A holy person. So, um, Paul says, called to be an apostle. Then he says, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And how does a saint differ from a sinner? Well, first of all, a saint is peaceful. He serves a God of peace, not a God of confusion. Find that in 1 Corinthians 14.33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. Paul was addressing um, confusion in the church, tongues, and, and um, the way it was being handled. But I believe this goes further. God is a God of, of peace. He's not the author of confusion. Um, no man can serve two masters. These are the words of Christ. That's confusing when we're trying to serve two masters. We're trying to please two people. That brings confusion. Saints are peaceful. They know who they're serving. They know their master. They serve him with a whole, a true heart. Jesus said this, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free or set you free. Free from what? Free from serving many masters. 
Freedom from bondage to sin. Free to serve our Creator as we were made to do. Free to serve the one who really owns us, really truly owns us. And that's peace when we're at that place. So saints are a peaceful people because they know who they're serving and they're serving their maker, not a uh, not someone that has stole their uh, affection or has tricked them into bondage. So that's a, that's one of the difference between saints and sinners. Now another difference is is the outworkings. We saw that in this chapter here, what sinners do and what saints do, what saints don't do. In in First Corinthians six. What does Christ think about sainthood in the popular sense of today? Jesus says this. He says, or Paul says this about Christ. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.12, he says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. I'm sorry, I need to... 1 Corinthians 3.12 For the foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man lay upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest. And I take that to mean that it's only what's truly built. Fire will, fire will reveal what is, what is built on this foundation. But it, there can be no other foundation. And Jesus doesn't want other people venerated or, or someone revered besides Him. Of course, believers can be saints prior to their death. According as He hath chosen us, Christ hath chosen us, Ephesians 1.4, in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, without blame, pure, spotless, so this is, this is what it means to be a saint. One that's blood-bought, born again. The Catholic Church has more or less trained, or the culture has more or less trained us, that a saint is something particular, something different. But it's not. It's, it's a real child of God. So is it right for us to call each other saints? Is it right for us to say saint so-and-so here this morning? Saint... Um, well, maybe I won't pick out a name. I don't want to embarrass anyone. Well, we're definitely saints. The Bible calls us as such in the real sense. A person that's redeemed by the blood of Christ and experiencing the sanctifying work of Christ is, is material that's worthy to be called a saint. Not because of his work, but because of what Christ has done for him. And, and to reserve, reserve saint only as a title for a distinguished Christian doesn't seem in character with Paul's writings. The other thing that came up in my mind is, you know, why haven't they sainted Menno Simons and Dirk Williams and Conrad Grebel and, and many of the other Reformation uh, people? 
They didn't quite cut the grade for, for sainthood uh, in, in their way of doing things. So why is it that important that we understand what constitutes being a saint? Why is that important? Why am I, you know, why am I up here talking about this so much? Well, one thing that, that um, I think, one reason I think it's really important is that we need to be on guard against idolatry, against celebrity culture. We don't want Christianity to turn into a celebrity culture for us. People love celebrity. They love idols. They love being fans instead of doers. They love cheering instead of really doing. Um, you know, people, ideas, or, or things to look up to. Duck Dynasty is one thing that is, you know, big, the latest craze right now. Every time you see a beard, you know where it's coming from. Uh, not including mine. Um, you know, it's, you, you see it. Something grabs hold, people flock after it. They'd really, you know, rather than sing the song, play the game, or do the job, they'd rather have a professional perform. You know, somehow it, it warms the heart and makes us feel good when we see of our own species excelling. And this is, you know, this is in celebrity culture and also, I think, in modern-day Christianity. We like to have Mother Teresa's out there that we can look up to and that, uh, you know, we can come up against and say, you know, give some money to, and, and somehow it makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, and maybe she can intercede for our inadequacies then, you know, after she's gone. I'm just bringing that up as an example. I, I think that that is one real reason. I, think, I don't think God meant for there just to be a few saints out there. He called us all to be workers, to be saints, to be bought into His kingdom. We need to be doers and not fans. We do need to be encouragers of others, but we also need to be doers. We also need to realize that saints are not self-made, but they're blood-bought. Saints are not self-made, but they're blood-bought. We're saints saved by grace. Contrary to the old song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, I like that old song. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When I stood condemned to die, He took my place. Now I'm breathing, drinking freedom. That, that's a, that is a, a neat song and it really stirs something in me. <clears throat> but I wonder if it's really correct. You know, it makes us sound a little bit like bottom feeders. We're just a sinner saved by grace. You know, if we're adopted into a family and we're given a new name, should we be saying, I'm just a sinner? Or should, what shouldn't we say, be saying, I'm a saint? I mean, really, is that giving God the credit He deserves? Um, I don't know, it sounds to me, it feels a little bit to me too much like a bottom feeder um, perception. We're just a sinner saved by grace. I think we need to be living much higher that we're saints living in the grace of Christ. We were gods before the deception. And we've been brought, bought back through redemption, through Christ's blood. We're in God's family. <clears throat> we need the realization that God has called us to a high calling. 
not a calling of mediocrity, but one of purpose and of power in Christ Jesus. I'm just a saint saved by grace. And I continue to be a saint saved by grace. <clears throat> Thinking of Mother Teresa, maybe share just a few thoughts about her. Teresa wrote in her diary that her first year was fraught with difficulties. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Mother Teresa. Um, I'm not speaking. I don't think I'm bringing up a new name here. Um, she, she wrote about when she was first, first uh, taking on the, the call to be minister to the poorest of the poor. She said she had no income, had to resort to begging for food and supplies. She experienced doubt, loneliness, and the temptation to return to the comfort of the con convent life during those early months. Our Lord wants me to be free, a free nun covered with the poverty of the cross. Today I learned a good lesson. The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them. While looking for home, I walked and walked till my arms and legs ached. I thought how much they must ache in body and soul, looking for a home, food, and health. Then the comfort of Loreto, the former order she was in, came to tempt me. You've only to say the word and all that will be yours again, the tempter kept on saying. A free choice, my God, and out of love for you. I desire to remain and to do whatever your holy will in my whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. That's remarkable. <clears throat> and then um, her testimony. I can find it here. Oh, here it is. She had another, she had a, a, a very uh, concise testimony about herself. By blood, I am an Albanian. She left home when she was 18 years old. Uh, that was her mother had her mother had urged her to join the convent, and uh, that was the last time she saw her mother was when she left home at 18 years old. She took on Indian citizenship when she started the her ministry to the poorest of the poor in Kolkata. So she says, "By blood I'm Albanian; by citizenship an Indian; by faith I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart." I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. I found that uh, very uh, meaningful. Do we belong entirely to the heart of Jesus? I think Mother Teresa, Sister Teresa was a saint long before she's going to be sainted. Um, as long as she's li lived that, the life of that testimony, she was a saint. And we'll be saints as long as we're living a life, as long as our hearts are, are, are the heart of Jesus. So let's, let's be saints. Let's really understand what we're called to. We're not called to be uh, simply fans of saints, but we're actually called to be saints. We're part of, called to be the, part of the congregation of, of, of the saints and, and to be... Uh, one with Christ, that's what it's, that's what it's about. God bless you.